Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Shaka Cummings, Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. Parker, how you doing after a week being locked up? <laughs> it's been a good week. It was spring break, and so we uh, had a staycation of sorts for spring break. Didn't leave the house a lot. That's all right. That's all right. How you doing, Shaka? So we started with our digital learning rollout. We got this week and next week, and then we have our spring break the week after. So the first week of this actually went well on my end. We've been getting a lot of compliments from parents, so I guess it went well. And hopefully it'll continue to go well because it looks like we are <laughs> going to be kind of in this situation for a little bit longer. That being said, there actually were some sports stories this week. So we have some things to talk about. But before we get into that, how about your gold stars for the week, Parker? I got three gold stars to give out this week. Um, one is to a guy named Shea Serrano. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm a big Shea Serrano fan. I've been following him since like 2002. Nine, when I got a Twitter, I got recommended to follow this crazy Spurs fan. Um, at the time, he was a middle school science teacher in Houston that was a diehard Spurs fan, originally from San Antonio. Um, he worked his way up and has written a couple books now and writes for The Ringer on sports and stuff like that. He has been using his platform, his you know, 100,000 followers, to culminate and pull together money to give to people who are now out of work in the middle of this pandemic. He has also been... Uh, plugging his own. He's uh, wrote a PDF about Scrubs that's coming out tomorrow. Uh, we're recording on a Sunday, so it comes out Monday. Um, he will be on South Beach Sessions with Dan Lebetard on Tuesday in a little uh, podcast form to interview him more about the social work he's doing. Um, he also calls out BS uh, from all the BSers in the world. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. If you follow him on Twitter, you know there's lots of BSers out there that he can call out. So shout out Chase Serrano, gold star for all the good stuff you're doing, man. Absolutely. My uh, first gold star of the week connected based on a person who you mentioned. I want to give a gold star to Dan Lebetard. So one of my favorite television shows is Highly Questionable. And with all the social distancing, I imagine that ESPN is struggling putting together some of those talk show-based programs that they do in the uh, early evenings. That being said, Dan Lebetard is still putting out 
a web series called Highly Quarantined. And he's talking to folks who normally would be on Highly Questionable. And they're just, they're basically talking about one issue. They talk about it for five minutes. And if you like Dan Levitard and that type of sports humor, then you would enjoy Highly Quarantined if you haven't seen it. <laughs> so um, it's definitely worth uh, a quick Twitter search to pull up some of the episodes that have been out. So shout out to Dan Levitard for still giving us some uh, quality sports content. What's your next gold star, Parker? My next gold star actually similarly goes to ESPN. Um, you know, this week's been rough with no sports for them. And, uh, you know, when the week a week later after the game started getting canceled, they posted a week and it, everyone responded like it felt like a year. Um, today being Sunday, the day that we're recording this, uh, they're running all day long ESPN The Ocho on ESPN2. Um, <laughs> the Ocho. It, the Ocho, which is shout out to the Dodgeball movie and Dodgeball being seen on The Ocho. But it has things like Ultimate Frisbee Championships were on at 4 a.m. Uh, the 2019 Spikeball College Championship was on at 6 a.m. Um, later today, we're going to get to see uh, the Cherry Pit Spitting Competition, Professional <laughs> Arm Wrestling, um, America's Dodgeball Continental Cup, uh, I don't know, Slippery Stairs, the College Tour, uh moxie games all kinds of very fun oddball sports and athletic competitions um so shout out to espn espn the osho for finding ways to still get sports on tv and entertain us in this time without professional sporting events yeah i'm pretty sure that i've played slippery stairs but i don't i didn't know i was playing slippery <laughs> stairs you know what i mean uh, <laughs> so but i also think i've competed in the crystal world hamburger eating championship without realizing it before so <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is kind of a combination gold star taking attendance because uh, I interacted in the podcast this week, or I should say I interacted on the Twitter feed this week with uh, an account called Prime Ananobi. At, so shout out at Prime Ananobi. They put out a picture and it's uh, it's the all Corona team. <laughs> and what it is, it's a team of NBA stars that have been diagnosed with Corona. And he just put out the picture and he's like, how many games would this team win? And like, for real, for real, this team makes the playoffs and would maybe do some damage in it. So Marcus Smart, your point guard, <laughs> Donovan Mitchell at two guard. Um, you got Kevin Durant. You got uh, Rudy Gobert. Who's the who's the Detroit kid who I'm forgetting? Um, Christian Wood. Christian Wood is the uh, is uh, starting in the front court as well. So that's the starting five. Um, I don't know who the bench would be. That being said, I don't even need to know who the bench is. I know that there's at least two Lakers who are diagnosed, so they're not releasing. So whoever those guys are, they could be on the team too. It doesn't matter who and they if it's, are. If it's LeBron and Anthony Davis, all of a sudden you might win it all, right? Oh, so. dear God. If it was LeBron and Anthony Davis, like that would be that would basically be like Jerry West must be the GM of this team, and he's just giving Corona to everybody. It's basically like Space Jam. Everybody's getting the juice. So uh, gold star to at Prime Ananobi. My last gold star, and I think it's important to give out a lot of gold stars this week. We all need some gold stars. Um, goes to at CBS Sports HQ. Uh, I got forwarded this tweet um, that they sent out yesterday. That is one, or the qu tweet is, what's one sports stat that will always blow your mind when you see it? And the literal hundreds of replies to this tweet are all mind-blowing stats that just like occupied me for maybe literally an hour last night as I just went through this. Um, things like if Wayne Gretzky never scored a goal in his career, he still had the most points in NHL history because he has that many assists. Yeah, he's and boss. Here's one shotgun that I did not know and had to look up and still have trouble like wrapping my head around. Larry Fitzgerald, longtime wide receiver, NFL, played for the Arizona Cardinals, has more tackles than dropped catches. That means he has more tackles on intercepted balls than he has dropped the ball when it's thrown at his person. He has 37 tackles and 24 career drops. That is insane. So, and um, he, he never played special teams, right? Like, that might be another no. way he would get tackles, but I'm betting no. he never played special teams. That's he was crazy. a star out the gate. Um, there's stuff like Akeem Olajuwon's quadruple double, uh, stuff from several stats from Barry Bonds' year in 04, 
including if you played all 162 games and had a single and a home run, went two for five with a single and a home run in every single game, you would not have a better OPS than Barry Bonds in No. Four. Like that's 162 <laughs> home runs and 162 singles, and you're still you're batting 400, two for two for five, and you're still not better than Barry Bonds in No. Four. Um, anyway, just some crazy, crazy stats along that thread. You should all go look at it. Um, but shout out to CBS Sports HQ for quite a conversation. Um, very, very entertaining. Okay, and Parker being the positive. Texan that he is gave out all gold stars. I'm going to give out one detention because I'm that New Yorker. I am giving out a detention <laughs> to Bleacher Report for putting out this Twitter uh, debate, which is not a debate. Basically, all they're trying to do is rile up Duke and Kentucky sport fandoms because they know that we'll get riled up. And they put out a tweet asking who would win a game if these two teams played. The 2018 version of Duke that had Zion Williamson and Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett or good team, good team, good team, or the 2015 University of Kentucky Wildcats. They went undefeated through the season into the final four and lost in the final four to Wisconsin. This is not even a debate <laughs> as, and let me, I, if you don't know, I went to the University of Kentucky. I am a Kentucky homer. I have season tickets to the football team. I go to basketball games. I would have season tickets to the basketball games if I were a millionaire. Um, very expensive ticket. Um, <laughs> but that is not even a debate. What are we – what? What? Duke lost six games. They lost six games. <laughs> Kentucky lost one, and it was in the Final Four. That Duke team – did that Duke team make the Elite Eight? Didn't they lose in the Sweet 16? Well, like, my – you point out, you know, they lost six games. I can't think of a six-minute stretch that that Kentucky team lost. Like they, they were down at the <laughs> end of that Wisconsin game. They were not down for much of that game, right? Like, <laughs> if you look at some of the halftime scores, someone put this tweet out there: the halftime scores from that 2015 uh, team, or they it wasn't just halftime. There's just different scores at different points of the game where they're up 40 on Arkansas with almost eight minutes left in the second half. The UCLA halftime score is still the most mind-boggling score I've ever seen. They were beating UCLA in 2015. They were beating them at halftime 41-7. to That's another blue blood, by the way. They're ble- beating another blue blood 41-7. to That's, That's not like some scrubs. If I told you that a football team was winning 41-7, to you would be like, damn, that's a blowout, but I could kind of get that. If I tell you a basketball team is beating someone 41-7 <laughs> at halftime, you would be like, oh, my God, they have to fire that high school coach. <laughs> Anyways, that's not even a debate. They're just trying to rile up the fandoms, and it worked for me. Um, yeah, so, well, so they got you, right? <laughs> they got me. So detention, bleach report, not only for doing that stupid poll, but also for – getting me i hate you guys um so <laughs> detention got, for getting the teacher that's actually a de- detention i think that's fair that's fair absolutely so we got uh three great thesis statements this week we'll uh talk a little bit of tom brady we'll talk about bill o'brien and his moves as a gm and then we'll do a little uh fun essay question it's going to be a new segment uh where we talk about espn 30 for 30s so without further ado parker are you ready to get into it ready when you are shaga All righty, Parker. So for our first thesis statement this week, it reads, Tom Brady makes the Buccaneers the favorite in the NFC to make the Super Bowl. So I say that thesis statement to you. What do you think, Parker? I give it a B plus. I might give it an A minus. I was feeling good that day, but I'll give it a B plus. How about yourself? So I'm thinking that's a solid, solid, solid A. So I'm curious as to your reasoning for being as high as you are. Uh, Let's get into it. Okay, Parker. So you were pretty high on the Tom Brady move in terms of your grade. B plus, maybe even an A minus. Talk to me about why you like the move so much. Well, I think it's easy to see the name Tom Brady and be like, well, clearly they're a favorite to make it into the playoffs, especially if we're about to go to seven game, seven teams making the playoffs, right? Um, if you add a seven team from the playoff the last 20 years, the Patriots made it every year, including the year he tore his ACL, right? Um, so that's like helps them in their Super Bowl odds because once you're in the playoffs, it's a bunch of one-game samples, and you don't know what's going to happen. On top of that, he's got some talent there. They've got Mike Evans. They've got Chris Godwin. Um, they've got 
you know, Bruce Arians is the guy, quarterback guru and so on and so forth. And even with Jameis Winston throwing 30 interceptions last year, um, they really had a pretty strong offense at times. And so I think that makes sense. I just look at the rest of the NFC and it's hard for me to fathom that they're the favorite. You still have San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle, right? You still have that defense, right? You With Nick Bosa rushing the passer, that is still a really strong team. And while it's tough to repeat, they're not exactly like out of the way. Um, within their own division, you've got New Orleans and it's, you know, you've, in New Orleans, you've got Drew Brees, you've got Michael Thomas, you've got Alvin Kamara. You've got some really strong offensive weapons. You still have a pretty strong defense. If they get home field advantage, you've got to go to the Superdome. Like, there, there are a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent in the NFC, right? Just period, across the board. And so to win the NFC implies, like, when I hear favorite, I think, oh, like a clear-cut favorite. And I don't think they're a clear-cut favorite. Could they win the NFC? Yeah. Does Tom Brady make them more of a favorite than they were before? Absolutely. That's why I gave it a B plus and not like an A plus because it's not inconceivable. I just don't think that it's like a foregone conclusion that now they're going to win the NFC. I also think that one big thing that people don't talk about when looking at the Brady Belichick 20 year Patriot run they've got is how bad for most of those years the AFC East was. And I don't mean that to be like, oh, well, of course they have a bunch of losses because the Patriots are inflicting those losses. I, I get that. What I'm saying is that they got a first-round buy more years than not. The likelihood of them getting a first-round buy in the NFC this year would mean they'd have to go like 13-3 and or, or something, you know, a, a, a super high win total while playing in the NFC South where they will have to play New Orleans twice. Um, you know, if Atlanta can ever get their stuff together, I've played Atlanta twice. Atlanta looks like they're trying to reload in this offseason. You got Carolina and their whole new system. We don't know what they're going to look like. They're going to play them twice. Like, the likelihood of them getting that buy that the Patriots have had for so long is lower. I just don't know that I can sit here and say, like, of course they will win. But if we get to next February and Tampa is more or less playing a home game in the Super Bowl, I'm not going to be surprised either, right? I guess that's why I gave it a B plus, not like an A plus, and not like a C plus. How about yourself? Yeah, so it's like a high A to me. And a lot of the things that it's funny because we're actually close on grade. And yet some of the things that you mentioned, I some of the things that you mentioned that caused you to not push them over the edge to an A are some of the things that make me push them over the edge to an A. Let me start with this, though. This move feels a lot like when Peyton left Indianapolis and went to Denver in that Really, the quarterback is the piece that it feels like is missing from a team that's, you know, decent and could be great if they just had that quarterback thing settle. And Tom Brady feels like a guy who's going to settle that position. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to be what Peyton Manning was necessarily because Peyton coming off of that neck fusion, no one knew exactly what he would be. But his first couple of years in Denver, he was incredible he was still mvp peyton it was only only his last year where he wasn't the mvp peyton that we were used to and i don't know that tom brady's coming in to be that level player although i would bet if you ask tom brady he would think that he is what i will say is that i trust a quarterback who does not turn the ball over in a bruce arian system because i've seen bruce arians take quarterbacks who in my opinion aren't necessarily the best guys and not only win with them, but those guys have incredible career years with them. And I do think that Tom Brady is better than he showed at the end of last season with the Patriots. I think that the Patriots didn't provide him with weapons. And so he's now out on an island by himself trying to win games. And there's no Gronk and no deep threat. Well, you won't have those issues with Tampa because O.J. Howard caught almost 500 yards worth of balls last year. So you have an underneath threat from the tight end position. But most importantly, you got them two dudes on the outside who both were top 15 in the league in yards. Both went over 1,000 yards. Those guys are going to provide threats for Brady. The question becomes, can the running game be stable? Because they really, I mean, the running game wasn't a feature now, they also were in a lot of shootouts last year, so maybe the running game's a little bit better because the passing game stabilizes. 
but the running game, the offensive line are really questions, right, and things that you have to consider. But it does feel, in my mind, like when Peyton went to Denver, and I think that was 2012, because there's definitely pieces there, right? So we talked about the offensive pieces. Here's the thing that gets underrated. Tampa's defense is actually pretty good. Now, if you look at their raw data, it doesn't necessarily tell you that because I think that they were bottom five in terms of the points that they gave up. And so you might look at that and say, Shaka, that's not a good defense. Okay, let's dive a little bit deeper. In terms of the yards that they actually gave up, they were middle of the pack. They were about 15th in the NFL in terms of yards allowed. And now let's go even deeper than that. Yards per play. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were top five in the NFL in fewest yards per play surrendered. If you start doing the analysis, basically what this tells you is this was a defense that was on the field for too many. They were on the field at too many positions where Jameis turned the ball over and put them at a disadvantage because he was throwing interceptions. If you get a guy in there that doesn't throw interceptions, this defense is going to be markedly better. And Tom Brady's not going to go in there and throw a bunch of picks. And that, I think, is going to make that defense look markedly better. And so this really feels like a team that needed stability at quarterback. And I don't know that you get a more stabilizing force to Tom Brady. You might get guys who you think are better in terms of where they are now that Brady's 42 or almost 43 years old. Uh, but you're not going to get a, you're not getting a smarter quarterback. You're not going to get a guy who can come and figure out a system, read defenses any better than that dude can do it. And again, we might want to talk about like the New England season last year as if it's, oh my gosh, they were not that good. They were just, the New England Patriots were still a pretty darn good football team last year as compared to everyone else in the AFC, as compared to teams around the league. They just weren't as good as compared to previous New England teams. And that was with subpar Tom Brady in the eyes of many and not a lot of weapons. So now what's going to happen when you take that guy and you put him on a team where you're going to still get quality coaching, you got a lot of offensive weapons, and you have a defense that's actually pretty solid. It just feels to me like this is setting up to be a pretty good team for Tampa Bay. You also just said, though, that that New England team had a subpar Tom Brady, right? Like That and New I guess England I'm... team had a subpar Tom Brady because the team was subpar around him. So it becomes and very that's... difficult for a quarterback to overcome all. He had no running game. He had no offensive line protection. He had no receiving. The small sample where he actually had decent receiving in the early portion of the year when Antonio Brown was still there and before drug charges uh, kind of put their wide receiving core out of commission, he 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 threw for 400 yards in games. They were scoring They also points. had a historic defense. Their defense had scored more points than they had allowed, Shaka. The defense, without the offense taking the field for those that stretch defense game talking scoring about? have to do with Brady throwing for 400 yards? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm saying it has to do with the wins. And you're talking about, like, that. yes, that team was incredible. And he was aided by a strong defense that that, he doesn't. I'm not saying that the Tampa Bay. That defense wasn't historic the last eight games of the season. And and neither was Tom Brady those last eight games. And they still won. And they still won. So what are we talking about? And I'm saying I can't sit here in, what is this, March, and confidently be like, I know which Tom Brady shows up next fall. I also know that you brought up this feels a lot like the Peyton Manning went to Denver, and I agree. I also would point out that Pey- Peyton Manning and Tom Brady are the same age. Like, yes, Brady did not have neck surgery, but think about how long ago that Manning performance was, and they're the same age. You also have, you know, Super Bowl forty-eight, Tom Brady, which they had a fairly poor offensive day. Edelman has a bunch of underneath catches, ends up winning the MVP, have one big grunt catch for a 50-50 ball. But otherwise, that offense was a pretty bad offense that day, and it had looked like a decent offense throughout the year. Um, the offense that they had in Tampa, you're right, was strong last year because of these playmakers, but they had too many turnovers. Jameis isn't the, the, the only guy in the 30-30 club, right? He threw his own 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions, and they're clearly trying to get rid of that. I agree that Tom Brady fixes the interceptions issue, and he will be a smarter play there, but he's also an old man for this game sitting back there, and instead of throwing the ball away, if he takes hits, you don't want him taking hits either, right? Like there's, 
I just can't sit here and say that they're a clear-cut favorite. They still have to beat Drew Brees in New Orleans. Drew Brees is trying to do the exact same ending to his career that Tom Brady is. He is trying to end the exact same thing, go get a Super Bowl, get out of there, call it a career. He also has similar offensive weapons and talent. They have Sean Payton as their quarterback, as their offense coordinator, and is a similar offensive kind of mind. They score a lot of points. They have a stronger home field advantage, I think, undisputedly, right? Like, that is a strong team they have to get through. Last year, San Francisco had moments they looked really young and still had a tremendous season. That team's going to get a year older. That team could still be a playoff threat. Are they going to win it all? I don't know, but they could still be a playoff threat. You have Seattle and Russell Wilson. You have, you know, three years, two years ago, we're talking about Sean McVay and the Rams and can this open up a dynasty. Like, that team's not gone. It's not the same, but they're not gone. You've got other teams out there that are competitive for the NFC, and I don't think that it's just like, well, Brady's in the conference, now he wins it all. I don't no, think it awesome. has that vibe to it you got a lot of teams that Brady's going to beat in the playoffs. That's all that you mentioned to me. Like, <laughs> well, seriously, let's start, talk, let's start breaking these teams down. We can talk about New Orleans offensively. Do we want to talk about them defensively? Like, let's actually analyze their defense. Let's actually look at New Orleans and just how they continue to go out of the playoffs. Like, they have a team that's supposed to be a favorite that somehow never wins. And three years in a row, they go to the playoffs on crazy wild endings. The listen, no call on the pass listen, interference. The no call like, the like, pass come interference on. is what it is. I'll give you that. The the, the, the wild missed tackle on Stephon Diggs. Like, that's a once-in-a-lifetime Hail Mary play, Shaka. Come and, on now. And they lost. And they, like, listen, at some point, Parker, what we have to look at with New Orleans is they're going to find a way to lose the game because they always find a way to lose the game. Like, we can talk about how freaky it all is. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm saying that when that consistently, eventually it has to become a trend. Like, what you're not blowing anybody out. That's why you're in these situations, Right. I mean, and when you get into the playoffs, you're going to be playing a team that is not going to make mistakes in Tampa Bay. Tom Brady is not going to make a mistake. Now, what he made New a Orleans big mistake to end last playoffs. You want to talk about last playoffs? He made a big mistake to end last playoffs. Yeah, last I, I wish that he had 2,000 yard team. receivers. I wish that he had 2,000 yard receivers, which is what he's going to do. Throw the right team. Tampa. It doesn't matter the receivers. Throw the right team. He threw oh. the wrong team at the end of the season. Okay. So you go ahead and you decide that the New England receivers are the same type of receivers and they would just get as open exactly as the way the Tampa Bay receivers would, and it's all basically the same. You know it's not the same. He doesn't have, he didn't have the level of talent that he's going to have in Tampa Bay as compared to what he had in New England. So you are right. Tom Brady did force a ball in because guys didn't get open. He spent the entire season trying to force the ball in, trying to do more with less. And guess what he does not have to do next season? He's not going to have to do more with less. He doesn't have to make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what. San Francisco went to the Super Bowl last year. You point to me at the team that went to back-to-back -back Super Bowls in the NFC, right? So we can expect a drop-off there because that's traditionally what always happens. You want to talk to me about New Orleans. Awesome. New Orleans manages to play a bunch of close playoff games and finds ways to lose them at the end. Let them be in a close playoff game against Tom Brady, and you tell me you're taking Drew Brees over Tom Brady. Awesome. Historically, I know where... I'm, historically I'm talking about all those Bruce Arian playoff games like you're also separating Brady from Belichick in a lot of ways here that like well, okay Bruce but you, not you're also Belichick. you're also not then giving Tom Brady appropriate credit if what you're saying is is that t Bruce Arians has never had a quarterback historically that has been as good as Tom Brady so again I I'm New Orleans between their defense and the way they find ways to lose playoff games I'm not as worried about them if you want to talk to me about the Rams or you want to talk to me about the Vikings, I will just simply point to what they've managed to do in free agency, which is lose key cogs on their offense. So I'm curious as to what those teams are actually going to look like when they go into next season. I also want to talk about the, the division because while the NFC South gets a lot of pub for being a decent division, the reality is, is that it's really New Orleans, right? Atlanta hasn't been good since they went to the Super Bowl. They struggled. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe Todd Gurley comes in and helps them, but Todd Gurley's got an arthritic knee at 25 years old. If you're asking me who do I want over the next two years, 43-year-old Tom Brady or 25-year-old Todd, Todd Gurley, I want Brady, dude. So just so that we're real clear about what the next two years looks like for both of those guys, and they got almost 20 years separated in age. 
I am not. You're comparing well, two completely different positions, too, though. Like, listen, no, I understand that's they your comparison. Two, I understand that they play two different positions. So you're telling me that you can't look at two guys and say, who would I rather have over the next two years? This guy's production based on his position, and this guy's production based on his position. You're a football coach. I know that you can do that. So I'm not. I'm not worried there. Yeah, but um, I'm saying, why are you comparing those two guys? At because all? Todd. Because Todd Gurley is going to Atlanta. And Todd Gurley is supposed to be a difference maker in the division that Brady's in. And I'm here to tell you that even though he's 25 years old, he has an arthritic knee as a running back. His production no over the next two the years, his, his production over the next two years ain't going to compare to Tom but Brady's. No and Tom back. Brady is 18 years older. And but he's no going into that comparison. division. No running back's impact's going to be the same as the quarterback. That's a flawed comparison. That's you not know a that's flawed. That's not – okay, you can say that. Ask Derrick Henry about the impact that a running back can have as compared to the quarterback. Ask Pat Mahomes. Hey, listen, if you have a like, better if you have a better quarterback, yes, right? If you have a dude that is actually better in terms of production at his position than the running back is, you're right. That's my whole argument. So thank you for proving my argument. I appreciate it. Um, I'm saying you're not doing you're doing apples and grapefruits. I'm doing apples and oranges, brother. Like that's not the same. It is. Listen it, again. If you aren't capable of looking at two players who play different positions and trying to compare production, then that's on you. Except I know that you can. I want to talk about Carolina as well because Carolina coming in with a new coach is really a crapshoot. And, and new quarterback. So they've got issues there. The reality is, is that Carolina in terms of what they've got going on, don't feel like they're going to be competition for Brady and the Buccaneers either. I don't know. I don't see any team that could that can match them when we start talking game for game, especially considering that Tampa is going to have a schedule based on where they finished last year as a 7-9 and nine team. So now Brady's not going to have to play necessarily the top dogs right away. They have all the potential in the world, in my mind, to – win those 13 games that you're pointing out and be a favorite going into a Super Bowl season that's going to be in Tampa. I know we're getting riled up here and getting off on it. I'm not saying they won't win the NFC next year. I'm not saying that's not a good football team. That would be that'd be ridiculous. They are a very good football team with real good deep threats and a quarterback that has, you know, a pedigree of winning a lot of games and winning a lot of playoff games. And we're not even talking about the stuff he actually does off the field. I'm just saying there are other. We haven't even talked about a guy named Aaron Rodgers, who, as Stephen A. Smith would tell you, is a bad, bad man in the NFC North, right? Like we haven't even talked about all of the people in this conference that will be coming for him and coming for them. And it's the first year they're doing this. They've got to put it all together. And I just, I'm not ready to sit here and say that, like, yes, of course they're the favorite. Of course they're like, could they be? Could they win it? Absolutely. Will they win it? Sure, why not? Let's see what happens. But I can't give that an A+. Plus. That An A-plus means yes, of course, no doubt in my mind. And there are doubts. That's what I'm saying. You have no... I can't believe you have no doubts. Like zero. And let me just say, maybe it's because I root for a team in that division, so I feel like I've seen him. Like, I've seen Tom Brady. I saw Tom Brady last year. Tom Brady is not some shell of himself. He was diminished based on the, the weapons that were around him. Anyway, what we'll see this year is Tom Brady's going to show up and he's going to look a lot more like the Tom Brady that we're used to. And then I'll just be proven right. And that'll be that'll feel really good when I when uh, when they end up in the Super Bowl. I just see it so clearly that 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 move is going to make a difference. I do think that a guy like Aaron Rodgers, obviously, we can't ignore. But what I will say is that a guy like Aaron Rodgers, he's another guy who finds a way to lose playoff games. that He's not supposed to lose. I don't. Anyway, uh, we could talk about. You know Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and the historical, uh, the historical standing as compared to a guy like Tom Brady, maybe on another pod, might be a decent thesis they just, statement. They strike me as both guys trying to do the exact same thing as Brady, would just go out with a with a you know Super Bowl trophy in hand, walking off the field with it for the last time, and I they're all doing it at the exact same time. And has Brady had the upper hand on them the last ten years? Yeah, definitely. Has he had the last twenty years? Yeah, definitely. Am I ready to say that? Yes, he will do it again in front of them this year. I, I can't sit here and say that's for sure going to happen. That's all I'm saying, and I can't believe you're so certain about it. Yeah, I'm pretty darn certain. All right, Shaka, thesis number two for this week. For the last nine months, Bill O'Brien has been the worst NFL GM in the state of Texas. How do you grade that one? So I'm going to give that like a hard F. 
I'm Ooh. curious as to what your thought is, Parker, as a Houston homer. What, <laughs> what are your thoughts <laughs> in terms of the grade? Um, you know, as a Houston homer that's lived in Dallas the last seven years and has watched a lot more Dallas Cowboys football over the course of my life, I it's interesting to compare the two. I would probably give it another B plus. I you know A minus B plus somewhere along that line. It's not a out of the park home run for me, but I I would grade it pretty high. So I'm interested to hear what you got to say. All right, Shaka, you gave it a hard F. Not just an F, you said hard F, yep, like with double underlines, F. come come see me after class kind of F. Like so, our logo. <laughs> like our logo. So, why did you give it such a hard F? So here's the thing. I want to tell a story, and it'll take a little bit to tell the story, but hopefully it'll make sense as to where I kind of, how I kind of look at Bill O'Brien. Once upon a time, I wasn't a teacher. I worked uh, as an auditor. And I had uh, a job. We were up in Canada and we were working on an audit. And as an auditor, basically what I do is I look at your process, right? Are you doing the process the way that we want you to do it? So I'm up at this job and I meet this person who's in charge of auditing all the construction jobs. And I'm talking with her about her process. We're walking through. I'm showing her the things that she needs to do better because there's a lot of things that didn't go along with the process as we had outlined it. So I'm talking to her about the things that she needs to do to be better. And she says, you know what? I'm so happy that someone's actually coming here to talk to me about this because I was put in this job and I really haven't had anyone come talk to me about how to do the job. I've just been doing it to the best of my ability based on the fact that you know, they needed someone to fill this role and they asked me to do it. And so now I'm doing it. And, you know, I understood that. And so I wanted to do the best I could to help her. We have to do the report at the end of the job. So we're meeting with all the big wigs, all the bosses. And so I lay out all the issues that I found and talk to them about the fact that, you know, the that I've talked to this person who's in this role to help them and try to give them the 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 steps in order to improve all the processes that we saw that were outages. What ends up happening whenever you get audited is that someone comes back, you know, three months, six months later or whatever, and now you gotta show that you made corrections to all the things that have been pointed out that are wrong. Um, I have a conversation and I find out that they fired the person who was in that role and they put a new person who was actually well-trained in the role in order to do the role. And I was pissed because my recommendation was not that you fire the person. My recommendation was you put someone who was untrained to do the job in the role, then the person made mistakes, and you didn't really coach them in how to manage the role any better. And I feel like it was a missed opportunity for a person who stepped up when you actually needed them to step up. And when I think about Bill O'Brien, I think a lot about that situation in that Bill O'Brien was never hired by the Houston Texans to be the GM. Bill O'Brien was hired by the Houston Texans to coach. And he gets a lot of crap for his coaching. Bill O'Brien as a head coach has had one losing season. That's Penn State. That's Houston Texans. He's had one losing season. He would have made bowl games at Penn State. They just weren't eligible because they were going through the garbage with Jerry Sandusky, that previous regime. And they put that, they basically put the whole program in a hole. And it was Bill O'Brien who dug them out of a hole. And now Penn State is actually incredibly successful. And it's because Bill O'Brien dug them out of the hole that the previous regime had put them in. That's who Bill O'Brien is as a coach. Bill O'Brien went to the Houston Texans. He's been with the Houston Texans for six years. He's won at least nine games in five of those years. The one year that wasn't a winning season, he went 4-12, 2017. And if we go back, we can point to all the different quarterback issues that they had in that particular year in terms of injury. Bill O'Brien has managed to win nine games with the Houston Texans pretty much every year, have them in the playoffs uh, four of the six years that he's been the coach, and they've had quarterback issues historically throughout. My point with Bill O'Brien is he was hired to be a coach. He's a damn good coach. He has you winning games. He was never hired to be the GM, and so now when folks want to kind of come back and judge him based on GM moves, he's never he's never been hired to be that. He was never trained to be that. That's never why you brought Bill O'Brien in the first place. So I don't look at Bill O'Brien as the reason why Houston is being mismanaged in terms of that GM role, in terms of player personnel. I go right to ownership. 
And I'm like, you guys created this structure and put a guy in who's not supposed to be a GM, who's never been trained to be a GM, to be the GM. And, oh, by the way, if you start comparing the moves that Houston's making as compared to the moves that the other team in the state is making, I still think that Houston's managing this better. Because Houston was in the playoffs last year. Houston was up 24-0 on Kansas City in that playoff game. Dallas can't make the playoffs. They have a quarterback who's actually winning games for you, and they're managing to franchise the dude and alienate him. They're the one team that wants to pay a running back. Like, no one wants to pay a running back. Their running back holds out. They give him money. They trade for Amari Cooper and then don't actually re-sign him when you trade for him. So now you got to up his money because now wide receivers are making more money than when you traded for him. This is who Dallas is. So, like, if we start comparing Bill O'Brien, listen, I get it. DeAndre Hopkins, not a good look, right? Davian Clowney, not a good look. I get that. His moves still, his team's in the playoffs, and his moves still look better as compared to Dallas, in my opinion. So you bring up a couple things that are fair, and I will say that it's fair that he was not originally hired as a GM, but he was, for better or worse, he was recently placed into that role more permanently. This isn't just the interim role from last June. He much more recently was asked to be the GM. And so I think that it is fair to, to look at him as a GM. And we're not talking about firing him as a, as a coach. We're talking about firing him as a GM. Now, I do think that you could look at issues with the way the team has been coached. And I think that they play in a fairly simple division because Andrew Luck retires very suddenly. And, you know, I, I don't I don't want to say that he's had a perfect resume. No coach has had a perfect resume, but I don't think he's had a perfect resume in Houston either. Um, looking at him as a GM, I think the most egregious thing is you lose two Pro Bowl caliber players in Jadavion Clowney and DeAndre Hopkins to trades without getting a first round pick back. And I know that that sounds like, oh, well, of course, da, da, da. but the truth is that that is like a minimum of what you ought to be looking for, right? Like you ought to at least be looking for, for one of those guys getting some first round pick back. I know the clowny thing was all in a mix right start of the year. And he apparently had some not want to be in Houston kind of thing. And that there's been mixed reports, depending on if you want to listen to Michael Irvin and if you want to listen to DeAndre Hopkins Twitter about you know, maybe he did or did not want to be in Houston based on working with uh, Bill O'Brien either. But if you have star players that don't want to be in town working for your guy, that's also a red flag to me. That's also a problem. Um, I I will say, as we sit here comparing the two GMs, the two NFL GMs in the state of Texas, it is interesting to me that they both suck. Like, I, I don't think as a GM, either <laughs> one is very good. And I sit here in Texas. Texas is a football state. And I if you have not been here, as someone who's lived here for all but the four years I went to college, football runs this state in a way that is yeah, kind of you, unprecedented. If you don't know Texas football, I mean, just go study. Watch Friday Night Lights. That's a lot closer to the truth than drama. Read read the book. The book, Friday Night Lights, is crazy. The book crazy. is crazy. Um, but it's interesting to me that the state of Texas has two pro football teams that both have poor management in different facets. Um, could we be sitting here talking about how poor the ownership is in both teams? Absolutely. Interestingly enough, in Dallas, it's the same guy, right? Um, you could sit here and talk about, you know, the coaching on both teams, talk about how the coaching has had ups and downs the last few years for both teams. And, you know, that's a great conversation too. We're sitting here talking about the thesis about as a GM, as a general manager, has he had a worse nine months? Um, we're not talking about the years and years that Jerry's had. We're talking about the last nine months. And I look at those two big moves and not getting a first-round pick or a first-round pick type of talent back um, for Hopkins or Clowney. Those are two Pro Bowl-level players, and you're not getting the same return back. Um, that's not to say that David Johnson wasn't good three years ago. But as you point out in the last segment, man, a running back does not last that long. He is over the hill for running back. If he is still in the league in three years, we will be all proven wrong, and I'll come on here and say it, man. He, he is not going to last a long time. Uh, he got run to the ground in Arizona. He's over that 27-year-old mark. He turns 29 next season, right? 27 is kind of the like last year for running backs if you look at it. I, I just think that so much of what they do is predicated on a receiver like DeAndre Hopkins absorbing coverage and so much of what they did if you look at that 24 nothing lead they built on the chiefs that you brought up um so much of that was predicated on the chiefs having to use so much to stop deandre hopkins that it opened up fuller opened up stills that trading him away and bringing in randall cobb his you know who is his own second fiddle like they don't have a first fiddle now 
And I, I just think that that's all poorly run and that in the last nine months, I think this is a debate and conversation. And I think that's why I give it a B plus is because I think this is a valid debate and conversation. He could have a bad run as a GM and based on the thesis, he's still not worse than Jerry Jones. And that's really what it comes down to. Like this thesis isn't that complex. This thesis is pretty simple. Who's had a better nine months? The Houston Texans who were in the playoffs, won a playoff game without, I mean, we could talk about what they got for Jadavian Clowney. They let that sucker go and they were in the playoffs and won a playoff game without him. So we can have the conversation, I guess, about that piece. But here's what I would say. If I could let Jadavian Clowney go and still win a playoff game, and you re-signed your running back, which you just talked about David Johnson and whether or not we should be paying running backs. You just re-signed your running back, gave your running back big money, and you made no playoff games in Dallas. You didn't You didn't forget about winning a playoff game. You had no opportunity because you couldn't make the playoffs <laughs> in the worst division in football, and it's not even close. They couldn't make the playoffs. But so, but you would put that more on GM than on poor coaching because they certainly clearly fired the coach right away. And put all that on I'm coaching. saying is that if we're looking at comparing those two GMs and we want to talk about the magnitude of moves over the last nine months, the magnitude of moves that Houston has made over the last nine months, still have them in the playoffs, still have them winning a playoff game, and the magnitude of the moves that Dallas made had them not making the playoffs. That's, I mean, that's the reality of it. It's not even a question, right? I mean, we, we can go back and that is tangible. So if we're talking about just comparing these two guys, it's an F to say that Bill O'Brien is worse. But Bill O'Brien's in the playoffs with his roster. And but like, even when you look at this, the time since that, right? Sure, sure. They, they made the playoffs and the Cowboys did not. Since the playoffs, Houston has traded away... You could argue their strongest player that, you know, I mean, obviously no, you Deshaun can't Watson argue the strongest player. You cannot. Hopkins, no, Hopkins they, they is one to, of the top to, receivers in the NFL. I'm not he saying first that. Team they all have league. Deshaun Watt, they, no, they got, they, they have a quarterback. There's no. If you look at the way they, the defenses had to play Houston and the way that they morphed to double team Hopkins on every route covered, right? Like I, I just, I understand Watson's strong. And so if you want to get into that, that's a different podcast. And we'll but, talk about that a different well, time. I mean, but I but mean, what I'm saying is that since the NFL season, which you were trying to say, like, yeah, Cowboys missed the playoffs. Da, da, da. Houston di uh, didn't miss playoffs. It makes them better. Houston has shipped off fine. You want to call him number two? Their second most important offensive weapon. They've shipped him off. And Dallas has, you know, franchise tagged the quarterback and brought it back from Mario <laughs> Cooper and got a new coach. Hello. Let's not, and, let's not say that as if that's a good thing. They franchise I would say it's better than sending off. I would say it's better sending off your second best player. I would say, you know, like, I get no, that. Oh, my I, God. No, it's not. You have a franchise quarterback, a dude who's capable of winning you games, and you franchise him. You traded for a wide receiver. You ended up paying that dude a lot more money than you had to pay him if you just paid him when you traded for him. Da Dallas has set them up in a situation where they're going to end up having to lose some of these pieces. Some guys are going to come up, and they're going to have to pay these dudes, and they're not going to be able to do it, and they're going to be looking for a quarterback. Like, Houston is not going to be looking for a quarterback unless uh, Watkins decides that he just doesn't want to come back. I mean, that would be the only Hopkins, way. And, yeah. and Watson, then, you mean Watson, What did Watkins. I say? Uh, I'm comparing, I'm yeah. combining names. Unless Watson yeah. decides he doesn't want to come back. Watkins. I'm leaving that in, too. That's not coming off the pot. Um, <laughs> Wa Wa unless Watson decides that he doesn't want to come back. Like, I mean, that would be the only thing, then, that would be... Right, and they ran Watson in the ground so much that a year ago he couldn't fly, Shaka. I mean, like, that, like... Really? Because 24 nothings looked like he could fly to me. Because 24 nothing. No, he's I'm talking the about Chiefs the little, the, literally, literally, like when they had to go play Jacksonville, he took a bus while the team flew because he can go on the plane with his ribs. They're running him into the ground. Like, <laughs> yes, I am talking about not being able to fly. I, uh, all I'm saying is How that. How like, Jacksonville game? Oh, fine. The, I'm just saying, like, I mean, like, if we, I guess what where I keep coming back to, Parker, with this is your GM, if he's going to be significantly worse. Shouldn't it show somewhere? Like, shouldn't it, shouldn't there be some definitive impact on the field? This is why I come back to, listen, if you want to get on Houston for what they're doing with their GM, then what we need to really have is the conversation around how they've organized that team. And I think that it falls on the owner because he's asking a guy who you didn't hire to do that job to do a job that, again, he was not originally hired to do. And I think that that's really the conversation. Like, that's actually where we could dig in and there's some meat. 
again, I'm not going to sit here and argue first best, second best, whatever, but he let go of their at worst second best offensive player, right? And like a big part of how you scheme against them defensively was shutting down Hopkins, and he let that guy uh, trade traded that guy away for pennies on the dollar, right? Like a second round pick and David Johnson is not an acceptable you know return on that investment. And then he let Jadavian Clowney walk. He traded two first round picks away for Laramie Tunsil, who led the league in false start penalties, right? Like, these are not acceptable moves. And and I get that they still had team success, and you could say, like, he's a decent coach. Look at what he did with that, da 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 You could talk about all that. But the question and thesis is about as a GM. And as a GM, he's had a really rough first nine months. And yes, you First in the AFC South with a playoff win. I guarantee you that... There are a ton of GMs that will sign up for that very rough nine months, and that's really what it comes down to. So you what, think with a top, with a Pro Bowl level pass rusher, they wouldn't have maybe been a little better in different spots? Do you think without so many false starts, left yeah, tackle, I wish that their Pro Bowl level better. pass rusher didn't hurt his arm again, right? They got no, that. their other Pro Bowl. They had two. They had the replacement. You're yeah. right. They had the replacement. They got the, they, they got the dude. For nothing. Right? They got the dude. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that maybe they couldn't have used Clowney. All I'm saying is that. They got rid of Clowney, and if that was going to have a dramatic impact, you would think that we would see it on the field. They went 10-6. They won their division and won a playoff game. So where was the impact? Like, why is that Clowney move in your mind so bad when they had results, especially when I compare it to a move that was made within those nine months by the other GM in Texas to invest in a running back to the point where – you maybe were questioning whether or not you had the money to go out and put into your quarterback and into your wide receiver all season. This was a question around Dallas. But he mortgages the future for these moves. They are, they win one less game in 2019 than did in 2018. 2018, they were 11-5 and 2019. And they, they didn't win a playoff game. And it, so they went, okay. they, that's right. They and they mortgaged the future to lose one less regular season game. They have a quarterback. Game. There's and, no mortgaged future, man. They got a quarterback. The only way that they've mortgaged the future is if that quarterback – makes the decision to go. And we can't judge that based on these nine months. Like, can we judge that when Watson comes up and he's a free agent and he has the opportunity to move on? Yeah, then we can judge it. But anything that's been done in these nine months, if anything, should actually tell us, we should actually trust what Bill O'Brien has done. Like, those why are we just also ignore part those of my, Those are also part of my argument, though, is... A comparable running back in Johnson and Gurley are both run into the dirt, but a comparable running back would have been free. And a comparable receiver, free, although I'd argue, you still got to pay him. I mean, but you got to pay Johnson. Johnson's contract's not cheap either. Johnson's sitting here. What's Spotrek pulling? Let me pull it up. John Johnson's sitting here making his own ten point two next year. That's not a cheap running back, boss. Like that's neither one of them are free. Is the point? So when you say you could have got one for free, you're wrong. You got to pay. But you could have gotten either does. one. You could have gotten one without swapping your first-team All-Pro wide receiver. That's what I'm saying. The other thing is a not first-team All-Pro wide receiver in Stefan Diggs got traded for a first-round pick, and so you could have gotten a better pick too. Like I, I just that. Or we he could was, just be it, questioning what Buffalo did, or we could question the sanity of Buffalo for giving up a first-round pick for a dude that you said isn't an All-Pro. So like he's not. He was not a first-team All-Pro last that's year. That's my point. Was. My I'm point saying, is I'm, is that maybe Buffalo just overpaid. Like, so now we're going to give Bill O'Brien crap because another GM actually isn't as good at his job as Bill O'Brien is at his. That's essentially, that could be. I'm that's saying the, that's if the there are people out there willing to overpay for Stephon Diggs, I have a hard time believing there's no one out there willing to overpay for DeAndre Hopkins. That's what I'm saying, is that he clearly just went phone call Arizona. You got to, okay, cool, do it. Like there's, there's an impatience there that like the market for receivers was out there. The market for finding a cheap running back or a run to the ground running back, cheap being, you know, like you don't have to trade your second best offensive player for him, was out there. He didn't investigate those things. He did this dumb trade. He did this dumb Jadavion Clowney move. He did this dumb two for both for first round picks for Laramie Tunsil. And uh, like those are not good moves. You are talking about at the just GM, the GM job. You're talking about at the, just GM, the GM job. The GM of a team that went 10 and 6, won their division won their playoff game, and were up 24 nothing on the defending Super Bowl champ. There's a GM in this conversation that did that. And then there's a GM in this conversation that in the worst division in football 
their team wasn't in the playoffs. In the worst division in football, a division in which you did not have to have a winning record to make the playoffs, his team didn't make it. So this, these are not, these are not season, comparable. Yes. And after, after, after that season, one of them made moves to try and turn things around, and you can da da da. And yeah, one of them one shipped of them, off the second best player. Yeah, one of them made moves to turn things around. One of them franchised their starting quarterback. That's not a that's not a move to turn things around. Sorry, it's not. That's a move that says you ain't gonna have that dude. That's what that move means. What franchise quarterback has been with their team two years after they were franchised? I'll wait for you to name the list. There's nothing that you have that can undo Houston won the division, won a playoff game, and we're up 24 nothing on Kansas City. There's nothing that you can point to that undoes that. That actually happened in the nine. They are a worse roster nine months later than they were nine months ago. That's that's empirical. They've gotten rid of all pros. That's, they brought in expensive over-the-hill running backs. They've gotten rid of draft picks. They're a worse roster. They're in a okay. worse spot nine they, months later. They have to play the games before you tell me that they're a worse roster because, once again, I've seen quarterbacks overcome a lot more than the things that you, you're pointing out. You're saying it as if Watson can't somehow – like, listen, if you're telling me that if Fuller is a healthy Fuller and a healthy Stills with an improved Deshaun Watson somehow doesn't overcome Hopkins – like, I'm, damn, whatever. I ain't buying any of that because they got the quarterback. The hardest part to making this thing go, they got. So, and he's young and he's improving. So, the, yeah, all of that is whatever. All I've got is this win in the last nine months, right? Like, I've got this season. I'm going to keep coming back to that because there's no arguing that. All right, Parker. New segment on the pod. We're going to do an essay question. So essay question is open-ended. So now let's talk about ESPN in a 30 for 30 series. And the open-ended question I'm going to throw at you, Parker, is which 30 for 30 documentary is the best? That's a tough question. Like I, we, we, we've debated this back and forth <laughs> texting and stuff like that all week. And it's really hard for me to settle on like five, much less on one. Like, it, like I, I, and I know that seems silly. Um, nope. It doesn't. You know, not it, to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can like remember as a, you know, I would, would have been like a senior in high school when these things were, were coming out and I don't mean to, to age myself, but it, I can remember when they came out on DVDs and my brother and I somewhat selfishly got the DVD collection for my dad for Father's Day. And we sat down, the three of us, my dad there too, but we sat down and watched them start to finish like every night when he'd get home from work for that summer for like a week. Like we just got all 30 of them done in a week. They're all very well done, the first original 30, so much so it's become a brand, right? It it went from its own set of 30 documentaries to just like the 30 for 30 brand has launched its own documentary series that is ongoing and it has its own podcast and so on. I was going to try and stick a bit to the original 30, um, maybe getting into a few that came with the same branding afterwards in the following year. Um, Without going too much into it, do you have one that sticks out the top of your head as your favorite? Because I can't think of one off the top of my head. It's just a singular one. Not only do I not have one, but when you say to me, oh, you kind of want to stick to the original 30, I am not there. I want to talk about like at least one in like each season. One of my favorites is the Fab Five, which is it not in the original 30. It's the second season. Yeah, season season two. So I think it actually debuts the second season. So, and uh, we were just talking off pod about like even their podcast series, Thirty for Thirty, is awesome. The the podcast about how Phil Ivey built casinos out of millions of dollars because of his partnership in Baccarat, like it is crazy stuff. Um, and it's a great story, and it's done via podcast, so there's no visual medium. That's all audio. Rand U is not in the original. Rand U was incredible. One of my favorites is Elway to Marino, and that's not in the original Thirty either. So it's like. And I mean, even, um, you know, I think that one of the things that we should kind of throw out there, you know, we decided that it almost feels unfair to put the OJ in America, like in this discussion, because the OJ in America documentary well, we, was just so, I mean, it's 10 hours, but it's under we the 30 We both reached it at separate 
we both reach it separately. And my whole theory was that it is 10 hours at least. I forget the exact number. It's over 10 hours of footage. It's, you know, a five-part series, and it's its own thing. It was award-winning, though, for every reason. So while you're at home right now, like, not watching sports, unless you're watching the Ocho, go and... The Ocho. <laughs> the Ocho. Unless you're watching the Ocho, go and go to ESPN+. Plus. It's worth the subscription. Do the bundle with Disney and the whole nine. But do the ESPN Plus thing and watch. They have all five episodes up there. It is tremendous. It's really, really strong. And I got to say, as a guy that was born in 91, it's interesting to go back and look at those OJ things because I've only known OJ as a criminal, right? Like, I didn't have the first two episodes build up to, by the end of the first episode, he's kind of a sketchy character. Like, or at the, the end of the second episode, I'm sorry, he's kind of a sketchy character. Um, the first almost two full episodes, I'm sitting there, literally, I text my brother at one point, like, oh my gosh, watching him run is majestic and, like, artistic. He is, tr- like, like I got it. I kind of understood the craziness and the hype. Um, but those do not count to me. They're just a whole different, I get that the same production company, they're a whole different deal. Here's what I don't want to do is spend too much time on OJ, but you just reminded me of something in, in that you know, my growing up with OJ, OJ was an actor for me growing up. Like he did the, he was an analyst, I believe on CBS, but he was a football analyst. And then he was in the, um, what's the movie with Leslie Nielsen? Uh, the Naked Gun movies. Like that's what I remember OJ from. He was in several movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh. Um, so yeah, we, we've decided that that one's kind of out. Uh, so the pon- Pony Excess. <laughs> Which is a fascinating... Also worth pointing out, the Pony Excess opened me up to the fact that like Skip Bayless wasn't just some bad take or bad hot takes guy. He really was this reporter. <laughs> and I, I say that, I hope he hears me say it. I don't think he's a very good hot takes guy. I think he's kind of inflammatory and wrong all the time. But he was a very strong reporter in the time of the Pony Excess. Like, that's a crazy thing for me to... Re- like. Whew. The one that stands out for me from the first season is the June 17th, 1994. And the reason why that stands out so vividly for me is because of the personal connection. Like, I'm 14 mm-hmm. years old when that day Rockets happens. Knicks. And so the Rockets-Knicks piece, I mean, that that finals game being on, the World Cup, which I went to... this, it, I went to a Catholic school, and this is only tangentially related, but I grew up with so many kids who loved soccer, and hated the fact yeah. that America wasn't good at it. And so for the U.S. to be hosting the World Cup, and right. of course there's the O.J. connection. Um, so the... O.J. is connected to that as well. The um, the other thing was that uh, being a New Yorker, the Rangers-Stanley Cup was June Completely. 17, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that, yeah. so, New York was in two championships at the time. One, one if, if you're sitting here trying to find things to stream and you listen to us as far as like ideas, um, Run Ricky Run is a must. Um Ricky Williams, especially in light of things going on in the current CBA about like, you know, mental health focus and, you know, node marijuana testing and so on. Run Ricky Run Ricky Run is a must. Um, as a Texas football fan, it was had a different element because I remember watching him play football as well. Um, but it was it's a really, really good insight to like this interesting character we've had in our lives for a long time now. Um, and I would also say that the, uh, the Two Escobars is an interesting one to me because I'm looking to stream stuff on Netflix. I typically lend myself to things like Narcos, things like Sopranos. I like kind of that mafioso and I like the, you know, the drug wars kind of stuff fictionally. Uh, not that Narcos is super fictional, but... Um... <laughs> um, one for the other sneakerheads that might be listening to this podcast, The Soul Man, the one on Sonny Vaccaro and like yeah. how he rises to base. I mean, what people don't understand, because I, I, I ended up kind of living through this because I grew up in the 80s and 90s playing basketball. So I'm born in 1980 um, in New York City. I The first sport I ever played was basketball, but like ABCD camps... And AAU ball and stuff, like, that's how I grew up. And I remember seeing, like, Nike representatives and Adidas representatives and all these things. And Sonny Vaccaro is the guy who starts that. Sonny Vaccaro is the dude who signs Jordan. Like, I mean, as much as anyone influencing current pop culture, like, Sonny Vaccaro is the name that people might not know. We're the worst students ever. We were asked a question. Did we answer the question? I don't know that we answered the question. Not only did we not answer the question, we basically told the teacher, hey, not only did I not answer this question, but here's everything I know about the topic. So hopefully you'll find <laughs> some points in it and give me some partial credit of some sort. Um, I have no, like if, if, I, if this was going to be like a five paragraph essay and I could pick three, 
Like, that would still be incredibly difficult. Like, again, the June 17, 1994 is one that I love. The Fab Five, because I love the Fab Five, is another one that I love. Um, geez. Um, There's one from the first season that we hadn't talked about. That I So, I like I said, I got these from my dad, graduate high school, whatever. Um, I go to college in L.A., the straight out of LA, straight out of LA with Ice Cube. Yeah, that's um, well done. Well done, and it's a cool look at this Raiders culture and LA, and like the way they represented kind of this underrepresented part of LA, and um, you know they're in LA in a very interesting twelve years of LA, eighty two to ninety four. <laughs> For lack of a better phrase, go watch the movie. It's an interesting part in LA's history. You got NWA. You've got Rodney King, you've got LAPD, you've got all these different aspects of LA happening while this football team is there representing the people that you're not really, like, the fans of this team are otherwise not really on television a whole lot, and certainly not in a great depiction. And it's a really, really cool documentary Ice Cube does. It's also like, this is Ice Cube doing that in, you know, around 2009, 2010. He's become this entertainer between NWA and that, where he's like, you know, the road trip movies and kids movies and so on. And now he's kind of going back to his roots a little bit about like, here's who really Ice Cube was, you know. Yeah, um, it's Ice a Cube, cool, cool Ice documentary. Ice Cube was not Will Smith, guys. So like now when we see him, we kind of, <laughs> you know, we, we'll compare those guys. But Will Smith's rap and Ice Cube's raps were not the same raps coming up. Like as a kid well, in the 80s, they were not the same. And... <laughs> Like you can only play one of those two rappers with your mom around. That's the difference. That is uh, that is true. Let me say, if you try to play no Vaseline with your mom around, like oh. that is not that is not okay, guys. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Belly Up Sports fam. That's this week's episode of FN Sports. Parker, you want to go ahead and hit him with your socials? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram or on Twitter. I respond a lot more often to Twitter, but find me on either one at at p ainsworth 512 that's at painsworth 512 um you can also find me through our fn sports social the twitter for that is at fn sports 2 uh fn sports all uh letters f i n sports number two um and i'll respond to any of those fairly quickly in the next couple of weeks because we'll be teaching from home and so my phone will be handy the whole time how about yourself Shaga? <laughs> So here's the thing, like I edit the pod and I want this segment to be short and I told Parker that, but he said F in sports, all letters. I'm totally leaving that in. I don't, that might, <laughs> that might be the title of this week's episode. Um, you can find me at Shaka Cummings on both Twitter and Instagram. And then we have our own podcast Instagram at F underscore I N underscore sports at F in sports. So uh, please reach out to us. We love interacting with you guys. Thank you guys for listening this week. And please remember when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us later guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more.